do you believe as you walk in this morning uh, that God can heal you? And, and there may be things that you're even experiencing and you don't even know the oppression that you're under, what you're facing, but God wants to set you free from that this morning. I, I'm praying that, I'm asking that, I'm believing that. And I hope that as we move through our gathering this morning, uh, we will understand the deep reality of what Jesus wants to surface in our own lives and what he wants to set us free from. Um, Real quickly as we begin, I just want to say welcome. If you're brand new here, uh, thanks for for joining us. Thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, We are so glad that that you are here and you chose to worship with us today. And uh, if we can help you get connected in any way, our connect table in the lobby can answer most questions. Um, there, you can get connected through joining community groups, joining teams. There's, there's many ways to get connected. Uh, for some of you, uh, we have an orientation of kids ministry, Valley Kids orientation following uh, our gathering this morning. And so if you're kind of brand new to serving with kids or interested in knowing more of what it looks like to serve our kiddos and be a part of our kids' discipleship, uh, we would love to connect with you. That's right after the gathering this morning. And so... Um, We're just thankful that you're here, and uh, we're thankful that as you come, we've been praying for you as you walked in the doors, uh, that you would have open ears and open hearts to what God wants to teach us this morning through this passage. My family and I, we've lived in Utah now for uh, a little over eight years. Uh, We've lived in three different homes since we've moved to the valley, and in two of those homes, Uh, When we were going through the inspection process, we discovered that there was an invisible gas called radon. Anybody familiar with radon, right? Invisible gas, who knew, right? Uh, It causes lung cancer, and and it's, it's deadly in many ways. And so that's alarming because on the external, the exterior, like when you look at the home, the home looks beautiful. It looks well kept, but there's an invisible toxic gas cancerous gas that can kill you. And I, I, I look at that and, I, and I'm kind of reminded of this text today because I think on the exterior, there's a lot of things that we would say like the exterior is not well kept and we want to experience some healing. We see in this passage, I'm going to tighten my mic, hold on just a sec. We see in this passage that um, Jesus comes and He's going to deal with some of the external realities of this man. But not only that, he's going to come and deal with some of the internal sufferings that he's facing. And he's going to point their mind and attention to some of the eternal realities. And so that's kind of the three realities that we're going to look at this morning is the external, the internal, and the eternal. And we see these three positioned and postured here in this text. We, we read quite often through this text, we're going to see that Jesus didn't come to just deal with one area or one layer. He's really coming to expose, and in many ways, expose whatever it is that's keeping you from finding your greatest delight in Him. He's going to come to this man who's been an invalid for over 38 years, and he's going to come and he's going to bring healing. But not only is he going to bring physical healing, he's going to bring spiritual healing. He's going to look inward at the man. He knows the man. He sees the man. 
And he's going to expose that. He's going to come to these religious leaders. He's going to come to the Pharisees. He's going to come and expose uh, what they've made the Sabbath. And really lead them and invite them into a deeper reality of the Sabbath. And he does that through a very, um, what I would say, a disturbing, in some way, very uh, causing of conflict. If anybody looks like Jesus, uh, I I just think of the passage where it says that Jesus didn't come to, to bring peace, but a sword. We think so often that, you know, like, Jesus was a nice guy. Jesus is causing problems. Jesus is intentionally causing problems to get to the heart and core of the issue. And so in this, I believe that Jesus wants to cause some problems this morning. He wants to disturb some things in our life, in our heart. He wants to expose some things in our life, in our heart. And he wants to set us free. But I think we have to deal with the question that he asked this man, do you want to be healed? Even as we begin this morning. I, even as I ask the question, I feel like there's a posture of going, you know, there's really nothing I need healing from. I'm, I feel like I'm doing okay. And I, I think that's one of the main reasons why many of us aren't seeking healing. We think we're good. We've come in and we've postured ourselves and on the exterior, everything looks right. But we live unaware of the true condition of our hearts and our souls of what's going on. We live with an unawareness of the true reality of of the, the depths of delight that he wants to lead us to that we're not experiencing, that we haven't tasted, and, and yet he wants to bring us there, but we don't know. We, do you want to be healed? <clears throat> so we start in verse 1 of this passage. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and we're given a lot of uh, picture language about where he is, the location in which he's going. And interesting enough, I mean, you can, you can go there today. In fact, uh, Amber and I, we've been invited by another church this next year to uh, go to Israel. And on one of the days that we're in Israel, like we're going to go and we're going to get to go to the pool of Bethesda. And experience, and, and this is, I love how John writes with such descriptive language here because he gives us, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so we're, we're given this, this description, we're given this archaeological language, like we can go here today, we can experience this today. This is a real place. Now what's interesting, I I don't know how many of you caught this as you began to read this week, uh, but if you look, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. If you've ever wondered what in the world, like what happened to verse 4? Well, in most of your Bibles, you'll you'll probably look down and there's going to be like small subscript at the very bottom and there's going to be an addition. And it's important to understand like how Bibles were translated, right? And this surfaces here, so I'll, I'll kind of speak to it. So what we have is, the reason we have this translation, and we have the English Standard Translation, which is a very word-for-word translation, 
taken from original Hebrew and Greek, translated into English. And what you have is, in the very original manuscripts, verse 4 was not in those manuscripts, but at some point, someone decided there needed to be more language surrounding this and and try to give understanding to this passage. So verse 4, at some point, was added in. And so we see in some manuscripts, verse 4 is added. In some manuscripts, verse 4 is not. But since it wasn't a part of the original manuscripts, it doesn't make it into the column of text. It's dropped down below. And what does verse 4 say? The bottom of my Bible, it says, Some manuscripts insert wholly or in part, waiting for the moving of water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so it gives some description and understanding of like, why was this pool so special? We're not given any of the background history. And obviously, if you were there in that day, you would understand this. You would know this. You would have some understanding of the context. But to later readers of this text, we wouldn't have that. And so it, it presents a problem when we keep reading into the text and the man says, I want to be healed, but I can't get down in the water. It's an understanding of why is that significant? That's why that's there. And so what we see is, is, is kind of like right out of the gates here, and, and something that really catches me off guard is the contrast between the healing in John chapter 4 and the healing in John chapter 5. And, and I think if I can just kind of tell you out of the gates what, what, I, what I'm leading towards here is, I want you to know that Jesus' healing is not formulaic. It's, it's not in a, in a way do this and and do these things and Jesus always heals. Now, I do believe in what we're going to see in the text, the eternal reality, like if we can zoom back, Jesus is going to heal one man, but the eternal reality that we're brought into is that one day healing is going to come for all people. And so Jesus is going to paint our, 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 a picture and, and really try to turn our mind to that eternal reality. But here he heals one. In the passage that Pastor Chris taught last week, he healed one. But how did that healing come in the last chapter, last few verses of John chapter 4? Well, it came through the begging of a father. A father came. A father ran. If you look at that, a father traveled, left his dying son, traveled 17 miles to go find Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the testimony of Jesus. He had seen or experienced or heard the miracles of Jesus. And he leaves his dying son and goes, there is is no other hope. There is no other way for my son to be made well. I must leave him and I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue Jesus. And he comes and he begs of Jesus to heal his son. Here's what you don't have in John chapter 5. You don't have anyone knowing the identity of Jesus, trusting in the identity of Jesus, begging Jesus, pursuing Jesus for a gift. This man wasn't looking for Jesus He didn't ask Jesus. Jesus came to him. It's interesting. In fact, when I read about the healing here in John chapter 5, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. This is through faith. This was not of yourselves. It was a gift of God. If we, I could easily just 
frame this passage here in John chapter 5 of how Jesus saves. Because many of us are just like the man who was at the side of the pool in Bethesda. Many of us were not asking for Jesus to save, pursuing Jesus to save, begging Jesus to save, and Jesus comes in and he chooses one. He opens his eyes, he reveals the truth of sin, and he saves him. And that's the story for many of us. It was a gift of God. It was a gift of God through faith, not of ourselves, not of our own doing. It was a gift of God. It's a gift to God, and this is the grace of God, and this is how Jesus saves. But the the thing I wrestle with in this passage, and maybe you wrestle with in this passage, is as you read, it's, it says there were multitudes. There were multitudes of people that were there. And Jesus, and it says, and there was one man. Jesus comes for one man. Does that strike anyone else as, as odd? Jesus, his capability, his power, his healing hand, and he comes Basically to the uh, hospital, a, a place of, that's just poverty stricken with multitudes of people who need healing and he heals one. And I, I ask the question as I read and study this passage, I go, why didn't he heal everybody? Like, wouldn't that really just set everything on fire? Like, wouldn't that just really frustrate the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Wouldn't that just truly help everyone understand his identity? And, and, and wouldn't that be awesome? But I think you and I know, like, there's been times where we have prayed for healing and not seen healing. We have begged Jesus to heal. Today is the three-year anniversary of my mom's passing. 60 years old, died of early onset Alzheimer's, and we prayed for healing. We prayed and asked God, God, would you heal? And God had another plan. This past Thursday, a pastor friend of mine within our Acts 29 family lost his 18-year-old son to leukemia. It seemed like everything was going well, and then they got sick, and I talked to him Last Friday, before I left town, and I, I, said, I said, hey, what's going on? He's like, we're actually in Salt Lake City. We, we came up from Colorado. We're at the hospital here, and we need a miracle. And we prayed. We asked God for a miracle. And God had other plans. We have no idea as to why in this passage, in our life, God chooses one and other experience suffering. It's some of the, the hard realities that we face in this world. And I, I love, there's a, a pastor and theologian, he says, we always have to look at things from a couple different lenses. And one, Jesus choosing to heal one and not a multitude is an emotional problem. It's not an intellectual problem. It's, we don't, it's, it's not something we struggle with mentally. It's not like, Two plus two equals four. Like, it doesn't add up. 
It's emotionally, we just don't like it and we don't understand it. And we don't understand how someone who can be so loving and come for the disadvantaged and see a man and, and choosing to bring healing and, and why he would leave the multitudes. Other than, and the, the only answer I could find, the only answer I could come to, the only conclusion I can come to is this picture, this healing of a man is meant to be a foretaste of what he wants to experience in all the world. That this, this sense of coming, it's interesting, some commentators talk about that this chapter, John chapter 5, is actually a picture of the, the second coming of Christ. You're like, well, where do we get that? Well, Jesus comes and he heals this man and then he leaves. And then he shows back up in the temple and he's like, hey, you're made well, right? Go and sin no more. And then he's like, I'm out again. You know, like, and, and we see this appearance and it's like, it's, it's a foreshadowing of, of the second coming of Christ that he comes in and that, yes, we're getting to taste and see some of the experiences, but Jesus hasn't left us there forever. In fact, in verse 29 of John chapter 5, I believe it is, it, it says that he comes and he's talking to the leaders and he says, do not marvel. Do you not marvel? Do you, don't marvel at this healing of one man. There's going to be a time where the graves are going to empty. He's like, this is just a foreshadow. This is just a, a brief picture, a brief, brief snapshot of what I'm going to truly do. But we see in this passage that Jesus sees this man. You, you look at some of the verbs here. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been, the long time, been there a long time. He said to him, so Jesus knows this man. And maybe we go, like he was the, the one who was worse off. He's been there for 38 years. And he comes to him and he asks a question do you want to be healed? Seems like a silly question. Right? Anybody else think that's a silly question? Yeah, okay, good. Silly question. Do you want to be healed? And I know, I, I've been a pastor long enough to know not everyone wants to be healed. We think about the difference between like, I can know how to be healed, but not really have the want to. I mean, how many of us go to the doctor and the doctor says like, hey, you know, um, we're looking at some of your blood work and lab work here. And like, if, if you want to live, you know, these are some things, there's some markers. We, we need to change those. And so like, you got to start eating these green things called vegetables and, uh, you know, salads, you know, like, let's start, let's start making our plate a little more colorful. You're like, thanks, Doc. And then we go on. We're like, you know what? These things taste way better, though. And it's like, it's, it's not that we're short of the how-to. We don't have the want-to. And like, we don't really want to be healed. And we don't know. And I, we don't know why Jesus asked this question. But I know that you can't assume that everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody who walks in the doors of Church of the Valley wants to be healed. I know that because 
in many times where we feel like we've pressed in and we've engaged and we, we're here to help and we've been met with the wall of rejection. A sense of gone, I, I don't really want to take the steps necessary. I don't really want to step through those doors. I really don't want to open and expose those things in my heart. And so there's a sense of going, do we really want to be healed? Now, sidebar, um, totally unrelated to this passage here. We, we talk about joining the family and really stepping into like what it means to be a member of Church of the Valley. This is why we do that. Because you cannot assume that every single person that walks here actually wants to be healed. And you know what happens when you, as someone who loves people, and you desire to help people, and you want to step in with people, and you engage, and they're not they have not opened their self to that. It's a very frustrating experience. Conflict. Challenges. So there's a sense of where, hey, we want to be on the same page. We want to make sure like, hey, you have expectations. Like, hey, I'm here because I want to be healed. I'm, I'm here because I want to change. I'm here because I want to grow. I'm here because I really want to see flourishing happen in my life. I'm here because I really want Jesus to be my greatest delight. I'm here because of that. And we're like, that's awesome because that's what we want to help you step into. And we want to help you experience that. And but that's a messy process, and it's a challenging process. And Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And what's his answer? It's not a yes or no. He gives an excuse as to why he can't be healed. And, and so his mind is so focused on the external circumstances. His mind is so focused on, like, mathematically, it doesn't make sense. I can't be healed. How many of us have been there? How many of us have gotten to a place where we're like, dude, I'm just stuck. There is nowhere to go. There is no one to help me. There is no one to walk alongside me. There is no power in all the earth that could actually bring about my change, my healing. It's not going to happen. And that's all Jesus needed. All Jesus needed was an impossible situation. So what does he say? What's the impossible situation? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. And I love, I love this because if we go back and, and we're like, if you remember, like we've talked about this a lot of times, we've, we've looked at this idea of Jesus kind of just superseding all the Jewish religious practices. And so it's like ceremonial cleansing pots, we're not going to need those anymore. Sacrifices, we're not going to need those anymore. Like coming to the, the woman at the well and, sir, you don't have a bucket. How many of us, our perspective is so limited to the, the natural realm here. And it's like Jesus is trying to open our eyes to the eternal of what he can truly do. It's like, sir, I can't get in the water. Sir, you have no bucket. We're pointing out things to Jesus that Jesus is fully obviously aware of, right? 
And Jesus just says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Unbelievable. So, on these three realities, internal, external, what did, what did Jesus heal? He healed the external nature of this man. Like there was a sense of going like it's, it's like you can see where he once was unable to walk. Now he is walking. Jesus engages these external realities. Now, what's interesting is... Uh, I hope if you're here and you see this story that your eyes are open to the cap- like what Jesus is capable of doing. Now again, does Jesus heal all the time? No. Does Jesus come and, and, and offer us a place to come with those? Absolutely. But here we see I, I just, I'm imagining the crowd, okay? And we don't know, like, was this off in some hidden corner of the pool? Or, but he comes, and I'm just wondering if anyone sees this happen, and like, hey, wasn't that Joe who has been paralyzed for 38 years? He just walked out of here? I'm just, I'm thinking that this is going to be quite a scene. And the question is, is, Why didn't anybody else ask? Why didn't anybody else? Why don't we have any recollection of of anyone else just saying, hey, sir, hey, before you leave, before you take off, what about me? Charles Spurgeon says, what a strange, soul-sickening sight it was. For Jesus was quite able and willing to heal and to do it all without fee or reward and yet no one sought to him. And it makes me wonder, was everyone so focused on the water that they missed Jesus? Do we always, is our, is our mind so focused on, are we, are we so trusting in these, you know, truly our realm, our physical Nature, like, are we so focused on and trusting in our own methods that we fail to see what Jesus is capable of doing? Not to say that you don't seek doctors, you don't go to hospitals, you don't, that's not what I'm saying. But how often we can easily trust in our own methods. And see that the power of life and the power of healing only exist in our human hands and our human means. That we're so focused on the stirring of the water that we miss Jesus came into our midst. Could it be possible that we show up here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and Jesus wants to offer healing and we never, we never ask? We walk out the door and we experience the same living hell week after week after week. Jesus wants to set you free. So this happens. He takes up his bed. He walks. And then we get this 
unique sentence. Now, that day was the Sabbath. And if in any of our minds we, we read, it's like, that seems kind of strange. Like, is that a problem? It was a problem. It was a problem for the Pharisees. It was a problem for, for what they believed a man could do on the Sabbath. And we got to ask the question, why in the world did Jesus do this on the Sabbath? I don't know if you think like I think, but I go, this man's been paralyzed for 38 years. Why not wait till Monday? Right? Unless Jesus has a point. I think he has a point. I think Jesus was very purposeful on why he did it, where he did it, when he did it, why he did it. All like there Jesus is very purposeful. He comes on the Sabbath. Why? To stir up controversy. I love, uh, I get that the chosen is not like, you know, it's accurate, but it's not like 100% biblically accurate. But I love what it, in this scene where he heals the pool of Bethesda, uh, I think he says something to the nature of like, sometimes you have to ruffle a few feathers. And I think it's very accurate. I think Jesus is coming to ruffle feathers. So all of us who believe that niceness is a, is a picture of Christianity, uh, you'll see that Jesus wields niceness a little bit differently. Now, he does so in a loving way. I believe he's after the hearts of these men who their religious practices have become formulaic, and they've been practicing the Sabbath in a way that actually keeps God at a distance, not draws him near. And I think he's out to expose some, they're so focused on the external that Jesus wants to do something internal in them. And Jesus is, is coming to expose that in them. If, my, my, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think there's about six or seven times in the gospel accounts that Jesus does something on Sabbath. He's pretty, like, he's pounding this home. One, I think it shows the importance of the Sabbath, of going what he wants the Sabbath to be. But let me tell you, like, what's happening here, because and I'll, I'll give it to you like this. I could stand up here and say, hey, you know, the Sabbath was one of the commandments. So in the Ten Commandments, you should have a Sabbath day. You should keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. And, and we go, well, you know, I don't really practice the Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath? Well, a Sabbath was kind of the rhythm that, that God put in motion when he created, and on the seventh day, he rested. He counted it all as good, and he was able to step back from his work, and he rested. And this was a rhythm and order that God put into the existence of the world uh, that we would step back from our work, showing our dependency and trust upon God, and we would rest. And we live in a culture and a society that doesn't rest. We live in a culture and a society that runs really, really hard. And what had happened is there was, there was a lot of Sabbath rules, and I like the way one commentator put it. He, he discussed like there's principles and then there's methods. And so I could talk about the principle of Sabbath and say the principle of Sabbath is that you would take a 24-hour period of your week and that you would rest. You would be able to step away from your work to be able to experience and remember who God is. And that would be a gift to you. And but I could go beyond that, and this is what we see them doing here, is I could go beyond that and say, your Sabbath needs to start at 5 p.m. on Friday evening. 
and it needs to start with a meal, and this is what the meal needs to consist of. And then as you're around the table, this is what you need to do at the table. And I can tell you what we as a Bindle family, like what we do in our Sabbath rhythm, and, and I can lay out some methodology that you have to follow exactly if you're going to truly Sabbath. And if you don't do those things, then you haven't truly experienced the Sabbath. And I would be elevating my methods above the principles. And this is what is happening in this passage is that they started elevating the, the methods. And so you're asking like, what's the big deal? This man, and, and one we're going to get into is, are we truly that blind? And can I be that blind that this man who had been crippled for 38 years stands in front of me and be like, hey, we need to know who healed you. And he's like, dude, I'm walking. Are you kidding me? And you're like, you're not supposed to be carrying that mat, sir. And you're like, Are you, you're totally missing it. And I'm going, man, what areas in my life am I missing it? What areas in my life am I just blind to what God is seeking to do that I don't see it? I don't, I'm not able to celebrate the miracle because I'm so focused on the method. The mat, like he's carrying a mat. I mean, a straw mat weighs less than a pound. And they're thinking like, hey, it looks like you're working to me. You're carrying a mat. And, you know, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, so you broke the law. And this comes from two passages, like in Jeremiah, um, I'm going to say it's like 17... Had it somewhere and I lost it. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21 through 27. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15 and 22. It talks about on the Sabbath, not carrying a load. And it was mainly referencing carrying a load to go and to market, to sell, to sell, like take part in, in certain trade, but yet they elevate it, right? And there's been a, a lot. I, I was reading some articles on just uh, the kind of the craziness of the Sabbath and kind of where we came. Did you know certain appliances have a Sabbath mode? So GE has a Sabbath mode on their appliances because your appliances need to rest, okay? And if you look at your, your GE, it has Sabbath mode, which will take away all chiming or dinging on because uh, a sound something producing sound is con considered work. Um, fire is considered work. And so it can't be fire. So uh, electricity, the light coming on in your GE stove. Uh, so every time you open it, GE refrigerators, you can make it where the light turns off. And so like they've elevated these principles. I'm going, man, if we can get so focused on the external that we miss the, the entire reason of like why the Sabbath was created. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, I believe, it, it says that, that Sabbath uh, wasn't created in a way for man, but man for the Sabbath. Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we, we think about, like, we're not out to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is out to serve us. It's meant to be a gift to us. 
And we see they've elevated these rules. Now that day was the Sabbath, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And they were incorrect in that. But he answered them and said, well, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And here's the thing. If, if we're going to like toss around, Jesus says, do something. The Jews say, do what Jesus says. Be obedient to Jesus. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is that man? And we're going to see like, man, is he going to rat out Jesus? Right? Like, who is that man? We need to talk to that man. That man has some great persecution coming his way. Right? And it said in verse 13, now the man who had been healed, he didn't know who, who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in place. But then in verse 14, it says that Jesus finds him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. And I, I love this picture. It's, he's coming back and he's, he's celebrating with him. He's like, see, you, you're well. Externally, you're well. You're walking. But then he throws in another weird sentence. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, we can come to a couple different conclusions. One, and there's a lot of different answers here. Uh, one, we could say that whatever happened to this man that caused him to be crippled for 38 years was caused by some certain sin. We know that to be true, that there are sins that we commit in life that end up leading to our harm. There's also sins that are committed against us that lead us to our harm. And there's other times where harm comes our way and it hasn't been because someone sinned against us or our sin. I think it's in John chapter 7, we're going to see that a person born blind and they're going to ask them, How, is this man blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, it's not, doesn't have anything to do with his sin. So what in the world is going on here? And I'm just wondering if he comes up and he's like, see, you're made well, externally, you're doing great. Look at you. Let's celebrate. Hey, but sin no more. What, does, what happens in the heart of that man? I'm just wondering if you were confronted today and someone came to you and said, sin no more. What sin comes to mind? Is, it a, is there a specific sin? Is it just an overall pattern of sin, a state of sin? Condition, a fallen nature, like I'm, I'm a sinful human being. There, there's a calling here to repentance. There's a calling to change. Now, this change is not outward, external change. This is Jesus going deep into the interior. And he says, so nothing worse could happen to you. I find that fascinating because I don't know... There's very few things I would consider worse than being crippled for 38 years, right? For 38 years, begging, asking for people to provide, not being able to provide for yourself, pulling yourself by your hands, there gathered by the pool of Bethesda with others, who are sick, who are hurting, who are broken, to spend day after day after day after day. And Jesus says, sin no more, 
so nothing worse could happen. And what I think when I read that, when I read this passage, what I see is is Jesus confronting here, what could be worse than 38 years of being a paraplegic while living a life of sin and spending eternity apart from him? Jesus says you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. It's not going to be worth it. You can gain the use of your legs and lose your soul. It's not going to be worth it. You can experience physical healing. And I know there's many in our room who would long for that and love that and pray for that. But Jesus said there's something far greater. There's something far more that he wants to do in your life than just your physical healing. He wants to be a part of your spiritual healing. He's not about just taking care of the exterior, the external. He's going after your heart. He's going after your soul, not just the surface. What can be worse than 38 years living a life of sin and spending eternity apart from him. So he's going internal. And he's going internal with the Jews here. It says the man went away in verse 15. The man went away and he went and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. We don't know why. Seems kind of strange. But... I think that's a picture of what Jesus came to do. And it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Jesus will be persecuted for your healing. Jesus will go to the cross for your healing. Not just your spiritual healing, your physical healing. Jesus will be persecuted for your healing. Complete healing, complete restoration. Jesus will be persecuted for it. That's the depths of love he has for you. It says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father's working until now and I'm working. They're like, why did you do this on the Sabbath? He's like, because I do what my dad says. My father's been working, I've been working. Why do you do this? Because I'm coming to show you the true meaning of the Sabbath. And the fact that I'm working is what gives you the ability to rest. The fact that I'm working is actually what gives you deep soul rest. This is what Jesus comes to expose. He's going internal with them. And then lastly, I'll kind of zoom out. And what's the eternal perspective here? And this is where I want us all to be. I don't think there's a person in the room who's not experiencing some type of suffering in this world, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual. There's suffering in this world. Jesus told us there would be suffering in this world. He doesn't leave us alone in it. 
He's given us his presence and his comfort. It doesn't mean that we don't ask him to remove this cup from us. It doesn't mean that we don't come and ask him to remove the suffering. But in the same way as Jesus, when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, Abba, Father, thankful for God's presence being with him. All things are possible for you. He is sovereign over everything. He can do anything. Take this cup from me. But not what I will, but what you will. I surrender to your will. I surrender. Jesus, in the most difficult moment he'll ever face, sweating drops of blood, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the most difficult places of his life. It says he was distressed and very troubled. We see Jesus wrestle with the internal, the external, and the eternal. He knows there's an eternal perspective. He knows he has to go to the cross. Internally, he's troubled and distressed. Externally, there are circumstances that are surrounded that are so challenging. And he's like, can you remove those? Can you take this cup from me? Yet I will surrender. And he surrenders to help you surrender. He surrenders to move you to a place of going, he will be persecuted for your healing. He will be persecuted for you to be made whole. And we are to beg him and to ask him and to come to him and say, remove this from me, remove this from me. And if you don't, I surrender. I surrender to your will. In verse 28, section 28, I said 29 earlier. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who, were, who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He said, there's going to come a day where we marvel. I think if we were to see this healing at the pool of Bethesda, we would be standing in amazement, in awe and wonder. And he's like, just wait, just wait. For those who've come to Jesus, have experienced the gift of Jesus of healing, of him coming in and transforming your life, of filling your life with the Holy Spirit and surrendering your life to his will, it says one day we'll, we'll experience the true resurrection of life. Life as it should be. Life that is whole. Life that is rich. Life that is flourishing. He says, there's coming a day. This is a, just a foretaste. This is just a brief snapshot of what I'm going to do. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? For those of you in the room who have not stepped across the line of faith and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, there comes a day of judgment. We're going to get into this next week. And that's That's scary. That's alarming. That should be alarming to us today. But I, I want to invite you to come to know him. I'm going to bring Joe back up to play underneath. And I want to lead us through a, a time of response this morning. Thinking through those three realities. Internal, external, and eternal. And I want you to ask yourself some questions. And this is where I really want to move us to a place of experiencing healing. Does God always heal? No. 
I know many of you who have prayed and asked God to heal, remove this from me, and you continue to suffer. And I would just invite, continue to ask, continue to beg, continue to plead, and continue to ask God the Father to come near to comfort you. And I believe 100% he will be faithful to do so. But I want to invite us into a time of healing this morning. And I'm praying this morning that God would heal. That we would see the celebratory hand of God. And and we would be able to look at someone and go, see, you've been made well. I don't have the power to bring about that healing. I, I know a God who can. I know a God who is capable. And so I want to invite us. So externally, what are the physical ailments, the pains of life, the brokenness of our physical bodies that need healing this morning? Some of us have suffered under debilitating pain for years. And the weight of that the oppressive nature of that, you just feel like, how do I live? What are the the circumstances surrounding your life physically that have limited you? That really, in some ways, feel like you're held back. You can't step in. You can't experience the fullness of life. Our bodies... We're never meant to be broken. But as sin entered into the world, the brokenness and decay of the world began to happen. And we experienced that brokenness in our bodies. Jesus will one day heal that, but we're asking God to take that from us now. We're going to pray for that this morning. What are also just the external circumstances of life outside of us? The things in our life that just seem so weighty the relationships, the financial issues, that we're just sitting here and we're looking at the water and like, if, I, if, if this just happened, if, if I got that raise, if I got that paycheck, if I you know, was able to talk to this person, then, and we're just looking to these external ways to meet that need. And Jesus just comes in like, hey, we don't need that water. We don't need the stirring of the water. All you need is me. And he heals. What are the external circumstances? What are the internal things? Thoughts, emotions, desires, things we don't even know are present, but the inside world of our life just seems like chaos. Maybe like an invisible radon gas that's decaying us from the inside and we don't even know it's there. What are those things we need God to surface? That he might heal us physically, but to have spiritual wounds or spiritual struggles or areas of our life, emotional pain, and we continue to live with that weight and shouldering that weight. It's like, man, I could run a hundred miles, but if I'm weighed down emotionally, spiritually, I'm not running. Jesus wants to set us free. He will set us free. 100%.
And Lord, would you help us move to see the greater perspective, the eternal realities? I was talking to a friend this week who's going through some physical challenges. And his heart and his posture has just been moved to one of going, all right, God, like I surrender that this is what is happening to my body. But I don't surrender to the sense of just laying down and giving up. I want to be healed. And so I believe there's a purpose and a reason as to why I'm facing this and experiencing this. And I want you to show that. I want you to reveal that to me. Help me understand. Help guide me. Help lead me. Help navigate my life. Deal deal with those areas of life. Help me have faith to see an eternal perspective that though the body is wasting away and decaying, there is a glory that far outweighs any struggle that I'm going to face here on this earth. Help me to have that eternal perspective. That's called faith. So often our minds get so narrowed in, we have these blinders on that only see the internal and external, and we don't see the eternal realities of what God is doing. And I need, to, I need that perspective this morning. God, help me understand. Help me understand. And so this morning, we're going to respond. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to respond, first off, this way. If you're here this morning and you go, hey, there's external, physical ailments I want to be healed from. There's inward, spiritual, emotional pains I want to be healed from. Or if you're here this morning, you say, I want to have an eternal perspective on where you're at work and what you're doing. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to call anybody to do anything. But if, if you would say, hey, I'm in one of those three categories, would you just raise your hand? Okay. Lots of us. Lots of us. What I'm going to encourage us to do this morning is that we would be moved to a place of of responding. If we were there, if we were there by the pool on that day and we saw Jesus, we would have not neglected to ask. We know the true nature of Jesus. These people may have not known the power, the testimony of what he's capable of doing, but we do. We do. We've seen it. We've, we've heard it. Many of us have experienced it. And so let's ask him today. And you can do that quietly in your seat as we respond. But I would also encourage you, one of the gifts of the body of Christ is the gift to pray for one another. At each one of our tables this morning as we respond, there's going to be people there, positioned there, ready to pray for you. Whatever it is, you come and you're like, I've been dealing with debilitating headaches for months. I want to be set free from that. We want to pray for that. We want to pray and ask God to heal. I've been dealing with struggles of my past and pains of my past, the weightiness of my past. We want to pray for that. I want to help to move in, to see the world the way God sees the world, we want to pray for that. And so we're going to move into a time of communion and response. 
Let me give you some instructions for that this morning. There are two things that Jesus commanded us to participate in, uh, which the Christian church has regularly practiced for over 2,000 years. Baptism.